Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. We serve a faithful God. If you're thankful that we serve a faithful God, why don't you make some noise right now? If you're watching online... If you're watching online, praise him in the comments, because that is exactly who we serve, a God of mercy and a God of grace. I want to start off today, I want, I want to read this to you guys real quick. This is from the Apostle Paul. This is him writing in 1 Timothy. Listen to the mercy and the grace that he was shown. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be the honor and the glory forever and ever. That's the God that we serve, a God of immense patience, a God of unknowable mercy and grace. That's who we serve today, and that's who we're going to pray to today. If you would, bow your heads. And let's join together in prayer. Father God, we are thankful for who you are, that you are a God of immense mercy, a God of immense grace, a God of immense love. It's who you are. It's who you are. And God, we can know that as we go through life, that's the kind of God that we're following. We can know as we go through life that we can have confidence because we know that's the kind of God that we're following. A God who sees us and doesn't look at us with hate, or with judgment, or with spite, but a God who looks at us with mercy, and with love, and with grace. Help that to just cover us today, God. Help us to remember that's who you are when we don't feel it. Now, God, in these next moments, I, I, I know that you have something you want to say to us, and I really don't want to screw this up today. God, I ask that you would go before me, that your grace would go before me, and help me to speak today that I would speak your words and nothing else. We're not here to hear Pastor Jacob's opinion today. We're here to hear from you. And that's exactly what we wanna have happen. So God, be with me, be with all of us as we listen today that we could clear our hearts and our minds of anything that would try to distract us so we could be present right here, right now to hear a word from you and we will give you all the honor, all the glory and all the praise that no other name deserves except you. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Why don't you guys go ahead and grab a seat? It is so good to see you, everybody. Hey, while, while you're sitting down and you're, you're grabbing your seat, why don't you turn to your neighbor real quick and uh, tell them what's the worst sin you've ever committed? Post it, if you would, online. I don't know why y'all are laughing. If you would, online, can you, <laughs> can you post it in the comments as well? We don't want to leave you out of anything that we get into today. <laughs> oh, man. Um, 
And if, if you believe that after that has happened, if you believe the worst sinner is sitting next to you, just point at him real quick so we can identify who's the chief of sinners in here today. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so for real, though, we start, <laughs> we start a brand new series today called The Prison of Comparison. The Prison of Comparison. Speaking of comparison, I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. Um, there's a lot of lovely people in here. But I believe, as I'm doing some comparison right now, I might be the best-dressed person in here today. Um, Rocking the Bernie Kosar little throwback. Um, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm, so, like, I'm so excited for today that the Buckeyes losing yesterday. I was like, eh, well, all right, whatever. <laughs> like, we got the Browns today, right? I'm so, so excited for the Browns game today. But anyways, the prison of comparison, what we're starting today, uh, this series, looking at how comparison really is a prison, right? Whenever we think of all the ways in life that we can suffer, and there is a whole variety. We, we've been introduced to a whole variety, especially over these last 18 months going on two years um, there's so many ways that we can suffer in life, but isn't it depressing whenever we suffer because we've shot ourselves in the foot? Like, that's incredibly infuriating. Like, whenever we suffer because of what someone else has done, of course, it's terrible, but whenever it's self-inflicted suffering, it has its own kind of just ugh to it. And let me tell you, there is no way to inflict yourself with suffering quicker than comparison. Comparison will do it every single time. You heard Maddie and Donnie talking about a little bit in the pre. It's absolutely something we all struggle with. Now, this is what I'll say. Um, typically, when we talk comparison, what do we think of? We think of envy, right? That's typically what comes to mind whenever we think of comparison. We think of, wow, look at what they have. I wish I had that. Or look at their life. I look at their Instagram, and they're always going on trips. How can they even afford to go on all these trips? And look at the kind of car that they drive. That's typically what comes to our mind whenever we think about uh, comparison. And, and don't worry, we'll get to that. So, so if, you're, if you're someone who that's an area you struggle with, and, and that can be me too, um, the next week, that's what we're going to be focusing on. But today we have something important that we need to hit on first as we talk about comparison, and that is self-righteousness. Already you can tell this is going to be a fun sermon today, right? <laughs> self-righteousness. Um, it, it's, it's not typically something we think of when we think of comparison, but we should because it is so deadly and it is so insidious. In fact, Self-righteousness is the sin of the Pharisees, the people who Jesus criticized almost, think about this. I was looking this up as I studied this sermon. Jesus criticized the Pharisees just about as much as he criticized the devil. <laughs> Pretty shocking, right? If you read all throughout the Gospels and you see Jesus' words against Satan and against the devil, against the accuser, there are just about as many condemnations towards the Pharisees and the religious leaders who thought that they were better than everybody else. Self-righteousness is that deadly, and it's that disgusting, because it does something to us, doesn't it? Whenever we're self-righteous, it makes us harsh. It makes us judgmental. It makes us people that you, you just don't want to be around, right? Chances are you, you may have thought of someone whenever you heard that today's topic was self-righteousness. You're like, oh, yep. 
Wish they were here. <laughs> Wish they were tuning in today, right? Because it, it, it's so pronounced, it's so hard to be around that whenever we're around it, it stands out to us because it's that serious, it's that big of a deal. Um, and here's the thing, I'm just going to say this right now, we all struggle with it. All of us, all of us. The, the most humble person in the world can struggle with this, can feel self-righteous and can feel like, well, I would never. (laughs) Well, not me, maybe them, but not me. I want to let you know, and I want to let you know watching online, today is an all-skate. It involves all of us, all right? Ain't no solos going out on the ice rink today. This is an all-skate. This is something all of us, your pastor included, can struggle with. With the sin of self-righteousness, the prison cell of self-righteousness. And so what our goal is for today, if we had like a a, a mission statement for where we want to get by the end of today's sermon, we want to be able to echo what Paul says, what I just read from 1 Timothy chapter 115. Listen to this again. This is so stinking good. If you're looking for a tattoo, get this tattooed on your body because this is something that we all need the constant reminder of. In fact, it's so important. This is how Paul introduces it. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That right there. And and theologians will say, well, maybe Paul was just talking about himself. He was talking more specifically about him and not generally. But there are plenty of theologians who read that and go, no, that's what Paul's saying. (laughs) Paul is saying that as Christians, as believers, all of us, should fully accept this statement that, you know what? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and you're looking at the worst of them right here. When I look in the mirror, you're looking at the worst sinner there is. As I'm saying that, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, that's like a little, it's a little fake humility, right? Like, oh, I'm the worst sinner, but I'm not really the worst sinner. Like, come on, just turn on the news. Like, (laughs) There's, there's plenty of worse sinners out there. In fact, you may not have to turn on the news. Maybe you're like, I'm, I'm married to a worse sinner than me. <laughs> like, I, I w- don't laugh too loud. Don't laugh too loud. <laughs> um, I, I'm married to a worse sinner than me. I work for a worse sinner than me. I'm related to worse sinners than me. So there, there's, I, I get what the Apostle Paul's saying, but it's a little bit of false humility, of course, He wasn't the worst sinner in the world. And of course, I'm not actually the worst sinner in the world because that's what we do, isn't it? I say something like that. I say, I'm the chief of sinners. And instantly my mind and your mind goes to other people. (laughs) No, I know who's worse. No, I know know worse sinners. I I know people who are worse. That's, That's where we go. That's where our mind goes. We instantly go to comparison. To comparison, to comparing ourselves to other people. We like to find someone's sin, categorize it, put, put it in a category, right? Label it, put it in a category, um, make sure that it's worse than ours, and then we can feel a little bit better about ourselves. We do this all the time. You see people who, who, who abuse alcohol, and they won't admit it to themselves. They won't admit it. But you know what they will do? They'll find someone who abuses it worse. Hey, look, yeah, I, I like a few drinks, but dude, have you seen Shane? You seen how he drinks? I'm not that bad. 
So maybe lighten up on me. Go talk to him, but don't talk to me because I'm not that bad. I know people who are worse. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I lie a little bit. Who doesn't? <laughs> I bend the truth here and there. You want to know a liar, though. <laughs> you want to know someone who you just can't trust. This person, you got to take everything they say with a grain of salt because you never know what they've said about you. You never know what they've said about this other person. You never know if they're actually telling you the truth. I mean, can, can, we, can we at least relate on this one? Fitness, man, this has been me for the longest time. Like, I, I, can, I can start feeling real bad about myself. Like, man, I got to get into better shape. And then instantly try to be like, okay, well, is there anybody, is there anybody about my age and stuff who, who's not as fit as me? So I can just take the excuse off, right? Like, I can just, well, never mind. I'm good. I'm doing good, right? <laughs> can you relate? <laughs> That's how things work when we're self-righteous. That's how things work when we're self-righteous. We look for other people, we look for sin, we look for shortcomings in their life because it helps soften the blow of our own sin, of our own shortcomings. Now, Jesus actually talked about this exact issue, like this exact issue that we're talking about today. He talked about this in the book of Luke. We're gonna be reading from Luke chapter 18, verses nine and four, uh, through 14 today. Um, Listen to this story that Jesus told. This is uh, uh, exactly with what we're talking about today. This, this, this idea of self-righteousness, of thinking we are better than we actually are. This is what Jesus says, starting in verse 9. To some who were uh, self-confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Parables are, are stories that Jesus told. And so Jesus told this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one Pharisee and one tax collector. Pharisees, they were uh, some of the religious leaders of the time, very well-schooled men. They, they knew uh, the Jewish scriptures inside and out. So this Pharisee, this religious leader, goes up there and a tax collector. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They worked with the Roman Empire. They worked with the pagan government that had their thumb on the Jewish people, oppressing them and keeping them down. So you have these two people, this great great godly religious leader, a Pharisee, and this scum of the earth tax collector who is keeping his own people down. They go to the temple. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, and he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exhausted. You see, the sermon title for today is, Thank God I'm Not Like You. <laughs> and this is exactly where that title came from, from Luke chapter 18. The, 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 the prayer, right? The prayer of the Pharisee. Thank God I'm not like other people. Thank God I'm not like this, this tax collector. Thank, thank God I'm not like a robber or an evildoer. Thank God I'm not like you. You see what's essentially happening here. As you read the scripture, you see what the Pharisee is doing and what we can have a tendency to do is he treated his faith as an audition. 
He was performing for God. God, look, see my, see my little dance? <laughs> it's good, isn't it, right? You see, I, I fast. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Isn't that good? Applaud me. Come on, applaud me. Make me feel good. I'm such a great person. Thank God I'm so good and I'm not a sinner like this guy over here. Treated his faith as an audition. He performed while the tax collector prayed. He was performing. That was a performance that he was putting on. The tax collector, on the other hand, he was truly praying. He was truly pleading to God for forgiveness. And you see, that's exactly what the the prison of self-righteousness does to us when we get in this comparison game where we're trying to compare our righteousness to other people. What ends up happening is we tether our faith to what we do instead of who God is. And that is not a good place to be. We tether our faith to look how good of a person I am. Look at how much I give. Look at how much I do this and how much I do that. And look, I, I say please and thank you. Like, look, look at the stuff that I do. We tether our faith to what we do instead of who God is. And what we do in that moment is we shift the focus and we put the spotlight on our goodness instead of God's grace. Can I just ask a quick question? Who in here wants to bet the rest of their life and their eternal life on your goodness? Exactly. (laughs) But we do it so often, don't we? We do it so often. We just slip back into it. We just slip back into this mindset of, yep, like, man, I'm such a good, but look how good I am, especially compared to them. (laughs) Man, look how good I am, especially, thank goodness I'm not like my my brother-in-law. Oh, man, thank goodness I'm not like my boss. Man, what a terrible person. Thank goodness I don't think about things like this guy. We just slip right back into it. And when we do that, we put the spotlight on our goodness instead of God's grace. Let me read again the, the prayer of the Pharisee, all right? This is what the Pharisee said. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Did you hear how many times he used the word I in his prayer? <laughs> Four times. Four times in two sentences. Where is the focus of that prayer? Is that even really a prayer? Or is that just a monologue? (laughs) Right? This is an audition for him. This is a performance for him. This is God, look at how good I am. And not just God, other people, look at how good I am. Because I I do things. I hold a standard. I hold the line. I'm, I'm a good, godly person. We focus on our goodness instead of God's grace. And on the other hand, we have the tax collector who is crying out to a merciful God, won't even look up to the sky out of shame that he feels. You see, the main issue here and the main problem whenever we tether our faith to what we do instead of who God is, here's the main issue. When we focus on what we do, here's a newsflash for us. We never live up to our standard. We just don't. The, The ways that you think you're so good You'll go against that standard one day or another. Well, man, I I give. I give, I give. I've tithed ever since I was little, which is, hey, by the way, awesome. I do too. I tithe. Tithing is great. It's a biblical command. I'm not downplaying tithing, but we'll say, man, tithing is so good. And you know what? Anyone who doesn't tithe, I don't know how they sleep at night. (laughs) I don't know how they sleep at night. I don't know how they call themselves a Christian. I don't know how they get to this place. 
And then you hit hard times. The pandemic has affected your job. Suddenly the, the money that was kind of expendable and you were always pretty good going month to month, suddenly it's a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter. And suddenly you're looking at your budget and realizing, oh shoot, I, I won't have enough to cover my expenses next month. And the month after that even gets worse. Suddenly, that tithe looks a whole lot more expendable than it ever did, doesn't it? And you get scared. And you get scared. And you're like, oh, man, I've, I've held up a certain standard for other people that if you don't do this, you're not really a Christian. And if you don't do this, there's really no commitment in your life. And you don't really trust God. And you don't really believe God. And suddenly, the self-righteousness creeps in. <laughs> like, wow, I've been tethering my goodness to what I do instead of who God is. And that's a scary place to be. You do not want to have to live and die on the standard of goodness. Trust me, that is no way to live. And you'll never make it. You'll never make it. No one has ever made it. You can't live up to your own standard. I can't live up to my own standard. Let's jump to another scripture real quick. This is Matthew chapter 7. This is Jesus talking during uh, his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus talking in chapter 7, starting in verse 1. This is what Jesus says about trying to live up to your own standard. Jesus says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, and this should scare the living daylights out of you. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Yikes. That's some scary stuff. If you even remotely think back on the times that you've judged other people and you've thought certain things about them and you've assigned motives to them and if you believe the worst about them, that should scare you silly. <laughs> Because you don't want treated that way. That, that kind of standard, man, you don't want that applied to you. Nobody does. Nobody wants that standard applied to you because we all fall short of even our own standards. Even the measures we set up, we don't meet them. We fall short. How many times, how many times has this happened? You're, you're driving down a road, there's traffic, and you're just seeing the cars up ahead, and you're trying to get somewhere, and you're like, these idiots, what are we move, move. And you're like, you're putting your head out and you're, oh my word. And you're, you're texting people. Sorry, I'm going to be late. Bunch of morons up here, rubbernecking at some accident. I don't know what they're doing. And then when it's your turn, you do the same thing. <laughs> you get up to the accident and you slow down. You, oh, what's going on? Oh, oh, hope everyone's okay. Wow, it looks bad. You do, you do the exact same thing. You were just criticizing everyone and killing everybody over, right? And then you'll still drive to work and be like, guys, sorry I'm late. A bunch of people don't know how to drive on the highway. I don't know what to tell you. And you were one of them, right? Because someone seven cars back was just saying the same thing about you. You can't live up to your own standard. I'll, I'll give you one more example, and I have to do it because I'm wearing, I'm wearing the Browns jersey. Um, if you watch the Browns' final game last year, playing Kansas City, in Kansas City, divisional round of the playoff, just oh, living and dying with every play, which is a new experience for me. I've never had my heart rate that high for Browns games before. Usually, usually my pulse is right on there with, like, my, my Apple Watch thinks I'm asleep. It's like, hey, time to stand up, time to take a, get some exercise. Um, but watching that game, man, you're living and dying with every play. Everything was just so, like, ah, it was so intense. And there was a play that, 
like it just completely swung the game. Uh, the Chiefs have been playing really well. They had a pretty, pretty solid lead going uh, almost to halftime. Well, the Browns get the ball, and they start driving down the field, right? They start driving down the field, and you're like, man, if we can get some points right before halftime, that would be huge. That would be huge for us. And so we're driving. Baker Mayfield hits Rashard Higgins, one of our wide receivers, uh, with a, a deep pass. Rashard's on the sideline. He's about to dive into the end zone. He literally leaps with the ball towards the end zone. And a defender for Kansas City, uh, Daniel Sorensen, he's coming this way. So they're, they're headed for a collision. And he leaps at Rashard Higgins and just levels him and causes him to fumble. And Rashard fumbles the ball into the end zone and, like, out the back. Which, if you know football rules, it's a, it's a really, in my opinion, obviously I'm a Browns fan too, it's a really stupid rule. <laughs> um, but what happens is if you fumble out of the end zone, you lose possession. Like, it's not like, oh, well, the Browns get the ball back right there where they had it. No, it's the Chiefs' ball now. Now the Chiefs have the ball. And so the Browns, who were about to score seven points, instead the Chiefs got the ball, good field position, drove down and kicked a field goal. So it's a 10-point swing in a final, in a game where the final score was less than 10 points. It was less than a touchdown. And so I'm watching this game, and the thing that was so, like, just infuriating about it is the guy who hit our wide receiver he, he, he went to hit him like this. Like he leaped, and you can see they have still shots of him leading with his head, leading with the crown of the helmet, which is a rule in the NFL. You cannot do that. It's a legal use of the helmet. It's a 15-yard penalty. It's like a serious, serious deal. Not only that, he could have been ejected from the game for doing that. And so as we're watching the slow-mo replay, we're like, oh, this is great. They're going to review it and be like, oh, well, he clearly this is targeting. It's, if you look up targeting in, in the dictionary, this is the picture they show. <laughs> but guess what? It wasn't targeting. They didn't call anything. I, I mean, I wanted to punch my TV. Like, I'm like, no, like I'm freaking out, right? And, and the thing that had me after the game, I didn't say this out loud because I knew how stupid it sounded, but I was thinking to myself watching this game after the final went through, I'm like, Phew. Chiefs fans shouldn't even be happy about this win. Like, they, they should have their heads hung low because they didn't even deserve to get this win. Yeah, right. If, if, if those jerseys had been switched and it was a Brown who leveled that kind of hit on a Kansas City Chief, the ball went out, the Browns ended up winning, do you think I would, after that game, be going, yeah, it's great, the Browns are on their way to the AFC Championship, but, man, it just doesn't feel right. Wish we, would have, wish we would have done it the right way without that hit. Yeah, right. I would have been like, woo, clean hit, clean hit. Don't know what to tell you. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Do you see how this works? <laughs> it's unbelievable the standards that we put up, the standards that we're like, nah, I, I would live and die on this hill, and how quickly we give up on them. You do not want to live based on your goodness. You don't want that. You want his grace. You want his mercy because you need it. It's the Jack Nicholson. You want his mercy. You need his mercy, right? You, you, you need it. You need it. We all need it because no single person in here, nobody watching online, man, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. We are not good enough to even live up to the own standards that we set for ourselves, Jesus warns against this. He knows that about us. He's like, look, I know I made you. I know how you people work. <laughs> you can't even live up to your own standards. Don't, don't try to live out of your goodness. Live out of my grace. Jesus warns against self-righteous comparison. But, and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, but 
Jesus doesn't warn against all comparison. He doesn't warn against all comparison. Jesus warns against being self-righteous in our comparison, but he doesn't say all comparison is bad. Like I said, we're going to hit on this more in uh, part three of this series. But let's continue reading in Matthew verse uh, uh, chapter 7. Let's look at the very next verses. This is what Jesus says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, this is a very well-known piece of scripture. Most of us have heard this uh, teaching from Jesus before. Um, And you know what we typically do? (laughs) We typically run to the end of verse 5. We run to the end of verse 5. Let me read the end of verse 5 again. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We love that part, right? We love that part because it's still about, yep, let me help you. (laughs) Let me help you. Yep, it's out of my eye. Now let me correct where you're going wrong, which has to happen from time to time, right? It has to happen from time to time. But I believe we are in such a rush to get to the end of verse 5 to where we can get back on judging and get back on correcting and get back on reproofing and rebuking. We, we, we love that stuff in the church, right? We love all those words, rebuke. Ooh, what a great word. Like, reproof. Like, we're, we're going to hold you up on this. We, we, we rush to the end of verse 5, and we miss the broader point of what Jesus is saying here. Let me read it one more time. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly, clearly to remove the speck from your brother's You see, what Jesus, this broader point that he's making before we get to the end of verse 5, the broader point is Jesus saying this. When you are comparing sin, just remember yours is worse. I don't care who you're talking to. I don't care what they struggle with. I don't care what name their sin has. When you're talking to them, every conversation you enter, I want you to remember your sin is worse. Jesus wants you to be so consumed with the sin in your life that when you look at it, it looks like a plank compared to the speck that other people are carrying around. Yes, even your boss. Yes, even your brother-in-law. Yes, even your husband, even your wife. He wants you to be so consumed with the sin in your life that it looks like a plank and other people's looks like a speck. You know why we should do that? You know why Jesus is saying, hey, whenever you look at other people, a speck. When you look in the mirror, a plank. He wants us to do that because it's very simple, actually. Um, I don't know anyone else's heart. I don't. Someone can even explain to me exactly how they're feeling, exactly where they're at, and I can't completely comprehend it because I'm not them. I can practice empathy as much as I want to, but I'm still not them. I still don't know their experiences. I still don't know where they've been and what's happened to them and exactly how their thought processes work. I I don't know anyone's heart. I can't know anyone's motives purely. I do not know any of that. 
So how in the world can I completely accurately, now again, not saying we, we never help people, we never kind of sh- iron, sharpen iron, and you know, kind of work things back and forth, but man, Jesus is saying, look, your sin is the only one that you really know. You don't really know what's going on with other people. You think you do, but you don't really know at a core, core, core level. And so when that is taken into consideration, their sin should look like a speck. But you know your sin. You know exactly what you're struggling with. You know exactly where your goat is tied. You know. You know your heart. You know your motives. And so that is why it should be a plank in your own eye. When comparing sin, remember yours is always worse. In fact, I'll just say this. Someone may have a sin that's just uh, uh, more visible to you or, or you know them better than other people do. But they're actually doing better than you think they are. Can can we say that? There are people, I I think these two things can happen at the same time. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. There are people who can be in sin, but still be growing Christians. Isn't that amazing? It's a process called sanctification. Salvation happens in a moment. Sanctification happens over a lifetime. It's a process. It's a process. And so some of the people that you're going, oh, man, I just, I don't know about them. They're actually doing better than you think they are. They're doing better than you think they are. So maybe back up, (laughs) pump the brakes a little bit, and remember, you know what? Speck, log. Speck, plank. Speck, sequoia. (laughs) Like, gigantic tree. Like, (laughs) let's put things in perspective here. (laughs) When comparing sin, remember, yours is always worse because you know yours. Now, again, I, I really want to hammer this because I don't want people walking out of here saying, well, the pastor said we never judge, ever. There's never any judge. There's, there's never any of that. I'm not saying that. Jesus says judging isn't always wrong. He warns that, hey, whatever judgment measure you take, that's what's going to be applied to you, so be careful. Um, but judging isn't always wrong because we know from Scripture um, there is fruit of the Spirit. And so we're able to see if someone is following Jesus because we see fruit evidenced in their life, right? We see that these things manifest themselves in a certain way. So external fruit of the Spirit, it either does or it does not manifest. Um, But again, we can only see so much. We can only go so far. And again, I'll say, what standard do you want for yourself? What standard of judgment do you want for yourself? Do you want people to believe the best about you? Do you want people to believe the best? Can I give you an example from today? Um, I had to, me and my wife, my wife's serving over here on camera. Can you say hi, Jesse? Isn't she so pretty? Isn't she so pretty? <laughs> and she's blushing, yes. Um, me, me and Jessica, we're both serving today. Obviously, I'm preaching. <laughs> um, so we have three kids and the kids had to come with us. Uh, Jessica had to be here right at 7 for uh, the run-through. I was able to get here a little bit later uh, because my part in the service didn't come up until later. And so the kids were all hungry. So I'm like, okay, I'll drop Jessica off, then I'll go get food. And so I went and got uh, food at McDonald's. Whenever I came back, I've got the two girls, Griffin. I've got all my stuff. I've got the food. I've got drinks. And I'm like, tr- I'm, I'm coming down. And as I'm getting ready to park, what we started doing, if you're a, a, a volunteer or staff, we actually, we park across the street over here at Chaparral's um, just to create more room. We want to create more space. We're, we're 
we're contributors, we're not consumers, right? We're here to say, you know what? We'll, we'll sit over there, we'll park over there, that's not bad, and we'll open up more space for new people, for visitors, but, right? Um, but I was like, I'm, I'm not navigating Arlington Road with three kids and all this stuff in my arms, like trying to run, run, like go, let's go. I'm not, that's not happening today. So I pulled in, and it's so funny, as I pulled in, I parked the car, and I got out, uh, brought everything in. I forgot something, so I ran back out, just me now. And there were two other uh, volunteers walking in. And you want to know what's crazy? I felt a little bit of, like, shame. Because, look, there goes the pastor to his car, parked right by the door. We're parking over here, and he's parking right there, you know? I felt that, like, oh, man, oh, man, like, I hope they know. Like, you feel like you have to yell across the parking lot, it's been a crazy morning, like, don't judge me, right? And that's the thing. I don't want people judging me over that. I don't want that standard set up on me. So you know what that means? My butt better be careful when I see some other volunteer park over here and walk in to not jump to, excuse, what are they doing? Don't they know we're supposed to park over here? Man, selfish. I just, like, no. I need to give benefit of the doubt. I need to believe the best about people. I need to say, you know what? They probably have, they were probably bringing stuff in. They were probably bringing stuff in, or even if not, maybe they didn't know, or maybe they forgot. Like, there's a whole lot of reasons it could be something way better than what I thought it was. So anytime you start feeling like, oh, man, what about that? Just remember, people are doing better than you think they are. You have just got to start giving a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, a little bit of believing the best about people, not always jumping to the worst. I want that standard for myself. And if I want it for myself, that's the standard I need to give to other people as well. So Jesus also here in uh, Matthew 7, he institutes uh, another idea, another concept. Now, we've been told this many times before. In fact, you, you may have heard this before. I'm going to see if you can finish the phrase. Um, we've been told, and we say this a lot in church circles, love the sinner. Wow, yep, we, we've all heard it. We've all heard it, right? Put it in the comments. I don't know if you could hear it. I want to see if you can finish it out. Uh, love the sinner hate the sin, right? Hate the sin. That's something that we hear uh, a lot. And honestly, whenever you read the, 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 the entire arc of scripture, whenever you see God's character expressed through Jesus and through uh, uh, Paul's letters and James uh, and Peter's letters, all throughout scripture, we see that concept actually doesn't have a lot of biblical grounding. It just doesn't. It's something that we've said because it kind of sounds good, right? And it makes us feel good to be like, oh, no, well, I, I love the person, but, oh, I hate what they're doing. Oh, I hate what they're doing. Um, it, it makes us feel good, but it's really not a biblical concept. What we see from Jesus here in Matthew 7, what we see, we see from Jesus is this position, and I believe this is the correct position. Love the sinner, hate your sin. Love the sinner. Love the sinners around you, and, man, hate your sin. Hate it, let it bother you, let it keep you up at night. Let the Holy Spirit just dig his thumb into your back till you can't sleep. But you love the people around you. You love the people with grace and with truth like Jesus did. And you hate your sin. Love the sinner, hate your sin. I, man, I, I've, I've, heard this, I've heard this more times than I can tell you. People at church, which I mean, obviously means they're probably not really paying much attention. Um, but we don't talk about sin anymore. The church doesn't talk about sin anymore. 
we do. <laughs> we do. We've been talking about it a lot this morning, actually. Um, we do talk about sin. Um, and what I want to say a lot of those times is, you know what? Okay, let me know yours, and I'll make sure I fit it in to my next sermon, all right? You, you, <laughs> you let me know your personal sin of choice, and I'll make sure we slap it up here on the screen for everybody <laughs> to see. Um, <laughs> we, we do talk about sin. What happens is a lot of us want to hate other people's sin. We want to love the sinner, love ourselves because we're good, and hate that other sin that I never have to worry about. <laughs> Man, pa- pastor, can you preach about divorce? Preach about divorce. Have you ever been divorced? No, 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 I I haven't. But man, it makes me feel like I can kind of take a Sunday off. Like I can just kind of sit back and give you hearty amens from the back row. And I've I've never gone through the pain of a divorce. I've never gone through the struggle. I've never gone through how much it hurts. I don't even know what it's like to still have to deal with it today and grapple with it. But man, I would love to hear you preach on it. I want to hear you preach about how it's wrong. I want to hear it. We love to hear about other people's sin. That's why Jesus is saying, you know what? Speck, log. (laughs) Speck, plank. Love the sinner, hate your sin. In fact, uh, this this is something, you you may have heard this verse uh, before too, 2 Timothy 4.3. It's a very often repeated verse that talks about, um, you know, uh, in the coming days, there will be a time when people don't want to hear sound doctrine anymore. They don't want to hear it. They, they, they'll only turn their ears towards what makes them feel good and what fits to them. And typically what that's taken to mean is kind of like um, um, doctrine is, is very conservative and anything that doesn't sound very conservative is going to be, uh, yeah, 2 Timothy 4.3, itching of the ears. But actually that kind of goes both ways. Because see, for, for some people, itching of the ears is going somewhere where they never, ever, 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 ever are going to be called to account to follow Jesus' command in John 13, 34, and 35. I'm, I'm never going to have someone tell me, you know what, if you want to know if Jesus is really Lord of your life, you love people like Jesus loved you, who by all accounts you should hate. People don't want to hear that. <laughs> That's a little too challenging. That's a little too on the nose, right? So let me go somewhere where I don't have to hear that. Let me like, I'll avoid that Sunday. I'll be back here next week and hopefully we're preaching about somebody else so I can feel a little bit better about myself. Because let me tell you what, that's the hardest thing you'll ever hear in your life. If you want to talk about hard teaching, we think hard teachings are are naming people's specific sin. The hardest teaching you'll ever hear is Jesus' call in John 13. A new command I give you, Love everyone as I have loved you. That self-sacrificing love, I want you to give it to people who voted for Joe Biden. I want you to love, I want you to love people who, who, who you know voted for Trump. I want you to love them the same way I loved you, a love that went to the cross for you. That's a hard teaching. That's something that a lot of us don't want to hear. So let's get back to specific sins. Let's get back to stuff that I can just kind of tune out on and I don't have to do anything with. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Hate your sin. Hate your sin. Don't you dare categorize. Don't you dare try to make this sin and this following me an us versus them game. 
pump the brake whenever you feel yourself starting to do that. Whenever you feel yourself starting to get on that high horse of saying, well, man, i just thankful I'm not like them. Just thankful I don't have to do that. Just, God, thank you for making me a better person than they are. So I want to ask you, are you hating your own sin? Are you hating your own sin? Or are you too busy hating the world? I know. I get it. I grew up in the Christian world. (laughs) It is so much easier to just take those stones and just cast them out there and just be up here and and every single Sunday, yeah, you know what the culture's trying to do to us? You know what the world's trying to do to us? You know what those people are trying to do to us? It's very easy. It can build some really big churches that way. (laughs) People love coming to hear that, how every problem in the world isn't theirs. But I want to ask you, are you hating your own sin? Are you too busy hating the world? This is not, what I'm talking about today, this is not a popular talk. I have a feeling this will be one of the, the, unless I'm completely off base, this will be one of the lowest viewed sermons after the fact. (laughs) If you'll be like, yeah, that was a one and done for me. It's not a rewatchable. I'm good. (laughs) Stomached it down once, don't need to hear it again. It's not popular, and let me tell you this, it wasn't popular for Jesus either. This was not a winning message for Jesus. Jesus took constant heat and constant pressure for the people that he surrounded himself with. From the self-righteous people, from the people who thought that they were just so, so good. Jesus constantly took heat. Those are your disciples? Those are the people who, who, who are the closest to you? You give them things to do? <laughs> They get to go walking around with your authority. You you send them out to do things, those people? Ooh, Jesus, I I don't know about that. Jesus took constant heat for his friends. He took constant heat for his inner circle. And guess what? Same. Cornerstone. Man, we have caught heat. We've caught heat simply for trying to do the best we can to mirror Jesus's model. I want to let you know, I don't know, I, I, it's, this is something I have to rhyme, remind myself of too. Um, the, the Bible was not written by perfect people. Not even after the fact. Like the Apostle Paul did not have his road to Damascus moment and then never sin again in his life. That's not how it works. Uh, James, Jesus' own brother, didn't from the moment he realized who Jesus was never have a moment of sin in his life going forward. The disciples were not perfect people. Shoot, they weren't perfect people for the vast majority of the three years they were following Jesus. They saw the Son of God, Colossians tells us, the full fullness of God in flesh. They walked around, they, 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 they ate and they drank with him, and they were his best friends for three years and still missed it and still messed up and still sinned. There's no perfect disciples, and yet Jesus surrounded himself with them. Think about it. He didn't even need to. Think about the whole idea of a disciple. Did Jesus actually need anyone to fulfill his mission? (laughs) If we believe what we say about him, no. He could have just showed up and instantly been like, hey, believe, and we're just all converted, right? And it just all happens. It could have worked that way. 
because he's God, right? He could, have, he could have worked in certain ways, but he didn't. He chose to work through us, through fallen people, through imperfect people, and surround himself with imperfect people. That's how, that's how he modeled his entire ministry. And so we've done the same thing here at Cornerstone. We're like, you know what? We are going to allow people in whatever place of their walk, if they are brand new or if they're a seasoned vet, we're gonna, get, we're gonna say, you know what? This is your home. Like, this is actually your home. Um, we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're going to actually allow you to come and call this your home. And please hear me. This is not all churches. There are so many amazing churches out there. I don't mean this to sound like I'm railing against other churches, but there's, there's a common thing in the church world, in the, in the grand uh, uh, Christian world, um, where churches, we, we just talked about this at MP Rally a few <laughs> weeks ago, where churches talk about, um, their like tagline is welcome home. Like welcome home, like this is your home, welcome home. Which is awesome, it's a great tagline, it's, it's, it's great. The problem is, we have a temptation to tell people welcome home, but actually be telling them, welcome to the hospital. Before you come in, Make sure, did you get your COVID test first? Okay, well, okay, get that up. Sanitize first, put some gloves on first. Okay, are you good now? Awesome, now you can come in. How often is that what church is like? Not welcome home, but welcome to the hospital. Let's clean you up, let's not get you sick anymore. Let's make sure you don't infect anybody else. Then you can come and be a part of the family. Then, then we'll let you in. Or how often do we say welcome home, but we actually mean welcome to the hotel. <laughs> we'll, we'll take your money. We'll take your money for sure. We'll take your good reviews. You can put that online. You can blast us all over social media. That helps. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take all that, definitely. Um, um, we'll, 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 take, we'll take your attendance. We'll make sure you show up on our numbers. Oh, but you want to like, you want to like really be a part of the church. <sighs> yeah, not here. Sorry about that. You said you're, you're divorced? Ugh, yeah, sorry. There's some other churches down the road, though. Maybe try, maybe try them. Cornerstone is trying as hard as we can to not follow feelings, to not follow what, oh, it just this is what feels good, to follow Jesus, to follow his model and what he shows us how to live how to interact with people, how to build the church. That is what we are following. And so we don't care if we catch heat. You come here and you are trying to follow Jesus. You get family privileges. You just do. You truly are at home. You truly are a part of the family. And this is, this is the key and this is what we all need to remember. Uh, I've, I've had people ask us, man, you, you, you will let someone who's, who's, who's sinned or who is in sin be like a, a member of the church? You'll let someone who's in sin or has sinned be, be a, like serve in the church or volunteer? You'll, you'll allow that? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Really? Wow. Why? Why? I have to tell them, I'm like, well, th this is why. Because um, <clears throat> if we didn't let sinners serve, I'd be the first to go. <laughs> it's, it's really that simple. I want a paycheck. So I, I guess, we're, guess we're rolling with this, right? I need a job. <laughs> but if we, if we say, no, you're, you're a sinner, no, you, this isn't really your home. 
oh, you're not really there in your walk with Jesus yet? Sorry about that. Just go sit in the back. Make sure you drop off your tithe check, though. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's not how we do things here. You come, you belong. Because that's what we see from the ministry of Jesus. And if we didn't let sinners join, if we didn't let sinners serve, if we didn't let sinners give, we all would be the first to go. And it all goes back to 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I am the worst. And guess what? So are you. (laughs) Hate to break it to you. Happy Sunday. Happy you were here. (laughs) <laughs> we need to get a t-shirt made, like the whole, like, I saw my house from this ride, like they have at amusement parks. Like, I was told I'm the chief of sinners at Cornerstone, and all I got was this lousy shirt, right? <laughs> but, but you are. And you know why you're the chief of sinners? Because you know exactly how you have sinned against God. No one else does, but you know. That's why plank, speck, <laughs> right? That, that, that's why other people sin doesn't mean it's not there, but man, compared to what you know you've done, it seems so small because you are so focused on killing the sin in your own life. We vastly underestimate how much God accommodates our own sin. We just do. We miss it so often. We, we just underestimate. We think, well, yeah, other people, you know, they, they've got a lot. Man, I, I sinned here and there. I did this this one time, but then I changed, but it was different for me. I I changed, and we just completely miss how much God has accommodated us. We just miss it. Can we just say our memories are terrible? They just are. Man, we paint these these rosy pictures, and it's just not that way. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, he's a, a social scientist and an author and speaker. He was talking about, he interviewed people about 9 11 we just had the 20th anniversary. He, had, he interviewed people about 9-11 just to test memory because he had had his own experience about, man, it was such a vivid day. Everyone remembers where they were and all this different stuff. And he and a couple of his friends who were all lived in the same apartment building on 9-11, they lived in New York at the time, they put out, uh, 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 they had, you know, taken this little questionnaire because he wanted to see how well do we actually remember saying what they thought they were doing that day. All three of them had different narratives. But they had all interacted with each other that day. But they all placed it at different times, at different places. One lady said, like, no, I remember I was doing the laundry. And, then, uh, and that's whenever we saw the second plane hit. And Malcolm's like, no, we were, we were together standing outside when we saw the second plane hit. Like, our memory is just so untrustworthy. And so when we look at other people and the sin in their lives, and we, we just forget, man, God accommodated a lot for us, too. God forgave a lot for us, too. And so maybe we should pump the brakes before we become too self-righteous. Because our stuff isn't mistakes. Our stuff isn't, well, we struggle with that. Our stuff isn't, well, I had a misstep here and there. It is sin. It's sin. And it's the worst kind of sin. It's yours. (laughs) Do you know that? The The worst sin in the world is your own? That's the worst kind of sin. Mine. Mine, how different would our world be if just people who claim the name of Jesus truly, 
truly saw, and didn't mean it in a humble brag kind of way, but truly looked at themselves every single day and said, you know what? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the chief. God, break my heart over my sin and change me. How different would our world look if we were so concerned with ourself that we saw our own sin as a log and other people as a speck. Our world would change overnight. And you know how our world would change? One gigantic word, kindness. Kindness. Suddenly kindness would be ushered back into the planet and the world honestly wouldn't know what to do with itself. If just people who claim Jesus would say, you know what, Jesus came to save sinners and I am the worst. I want to start saying that. And if you do too, let's bow our heads and let's pray together, all right? Father God, thank you for being a God who came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst. Because God, I know every single way I have failed you. I know every single way I've gone against your command. I know every single time I have not loved the people around me with the same love that you've shown me. And God, I repent of that today. Help me, help everyone in here today, everyone watching online, for us to remember every single day that we make, wake up that our sin is the worst sin that we know about because it's ours and that we need to deal with it. We need to deal with it. God, help us to get off the self-righteous high horse for us to stop this comparison game because we know that it leads to nowhere but legalism, but judgmentalism, but harshness and hatred for people who aren't us. God, we forgive of the ways that we've done that and we ask for your help, the help of the Holy Spirit, not just today, but every day going forward. God, thank you for being so good and for setting such an incredible example through your son, Jesus. Help us to live up to that example this day and every day. We love you, Father, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.